0: Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 at verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Across the street from our house, the township is putting in a new sports recreation park. It's going to have some artificial turf football fields, which can also be used for soccer and lacrosse. And of course, it will have normal grass fields as well, a softball, diamond, basketball courts, sand, volleyball court, and of course, various parking places and roads. And a few weeks ago, the work began. These big trucks pulled up carrying large equipment and excavators and trucks of all kinds. And our grandsons love it. When they come to see, we set up the lawn chairs in the front yard and they're just to watch the machines at work. It's a great time. In fact, after hours, we've gone over and walked around these big machines. And there in all, these giant movers of dirt. We've seen them up close. Now, for the sake of illustration, imagine this scenario. Imagine that if we went over there on a Saturday and walked around and we saw... A note and an envelope taped to the side of one of these big machines and it said to whom it may concern the keys to all the equipment is in the envelope along with the site plans and all drawings please feel free to work on the excavation if you like sincerely the management well I described that scenario knowing it would never happen no one in charge would ever write such a note It would be dangerous. It would be foolish. If they did, they probably would end up getting fired. Why? Because obviously, most people are not skilled and experienced to understand the plans and to operate the heavy equipment and to do this work. No, that takes a wise master builder. Now, the point of the illustration, I hope, is obvious. If that's true, for building a recreation park... That involves moving some dirt here and there and building some swales and so forth. How much more is it true for the work of building a person into the very likeness of Jesus Christ? No, only one person has the wisdom and the power to be the master builder of a sinner, to be transformed by the grace of God, to become like Christ. And that person... Is obviously God Himself, and especially God the Holy Spirit, who is the master builder in the sanctification of God's people. And thanks be to God that this is so. Yes, we as believers cooperate with the Spirit's mighty working within us. Yes, we have a duty and responsibility to be putting sin to death in our lives, and this morning we're going to look at that. But this is a work, this is a warfare. That's always and only to be done by the mighty power and grace of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We want to look at this truth truth this morning under three main points. And these points are all found in verse 13 of our text. That's the key text we want to look at. It says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So three main points. The first is this, the continual duty of every Christian is to put sin to death by the Spirit. The continual duty of every Christian is to put sin to death by the Spirit. Secondly, we'll see the only way to put sin to death is by the Spirit. The only way to put sin to death is by the Spirit. And then thirdly, putting sin to death by the Spirit is the way Of life. Putting sin to death is the way of life. First, then, let's see the continual duty of every Christian is to put sin to death by the Spirit. The focus of this first point is this commandment. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, the focus is this warfare in every believer's life against the sinful nature against remaining sin against the flesh as scripture calls it we are at war a person who doesn't know Christ is at peace in this regard there's no warfare against sin no there's not a battle at all there is peace with sin but the christian has been born of the spirit Given the Spirit of God, in fact, the very context of verse 13 is all that's gone before in Romans 8, telling us about the work of the Holy Spirit. There's no condemnation because the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Verse 9 says, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives you. Lives in you, And it's not saying if in the sense of there's some doubt whether Christians have the Spirit. No, it's saying every Christian is indwelt by, indwelt by the Spirit in the sense of since you have the Spirit and, and, and if and since you have the Spirit, you are not fundamentally controlled by the flesh. You are controlled by the Spirit. And God is working that out in your life more and more. And then in verse 11... It said, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Notice how the spirit is described as the one who raised Jesus from the dead. What power. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So the Holy Spirit gives us life. And so verse 12 comes, therefore, brothers, we have an obligation We have an obligation because the Spirit dwells within us, and that obligation is to keep in step with the Spirit, as it's said in Galatians 5, to walk in the Spirit, to put to death sin by the Spirit. Now, there is this warfare then. The flesh, the sinful nature, is always opposing every ounce of the work of God in our lives. It is opposing every inclination to God, every act of obedience, every trust in the Lord, every desire for God. The flesh always stands against every inclination. And so we can't have a truce with the flesh, with the sinful nature. No, it's all-out war. It must be put to death. Now, it's already been dealt a death blow in our lives by the cross of Christ That's already taken place. So in one sense, Scripture says you have been sanctified. But that's being worked out in our everyday experience. And so in this life, you and I must be continually putting sin to death. Well, what does that mean? It means, we could sum it up by this phrase, actively resisting and fighting every desire and inclination to sin actively resisting and fighting every desire and inclination to sin. That's our warfare, and we're to do it by the Spirit. First Peter 2.11 describes it this way, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Peter pictures us as strangers living in this world. We are not like the world. We are given the Spirit of God. There's something different because God dwells in us. We live in this world as aliens, and there's this warfare going on. Again, that imagery of, of war. These sinful desires wage war against our souls. And so he says, abstain from them. That's another way of putting it put to death. Sin. Fight it with all your might. Well, how do we do that? I'd like to look in this first point under 3 subpoints, and that is about our sin. One, seek to know your sin. Two, seek to hate your sin. And number three, seek to turn away from your sin. First, briefly, seek to know your sin. Notice how verse 13 describes our sin. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if By the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Here, the emphasis is on the body as the vehicle or the instrument by which we sin. Now, that's not always the case. You can sin in your thoughts, and your body, in a sense, is not involved, but very often, our body is the vehicle for sin. For sins of eating, for sins of sexual immorality, sins of the things that we speak, things that we do, places we go, being lazy, sleeping too much, not getting enough sleep, all these kinds of things that are related to bodily desires and needs. But the scripture also talks about sin as inward desire. The first half of that verse says, if you live according to the flesh, the sinful nature. In other words, that remaining sin within us. Verse 5, put it this way, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. Notice the emphasis on desires. Our flesh desires wrong things. And that comes out in what we do and say, in our deeds. So, if you are going to fight sin, you have to seek to know your sin. You must learn to see sin as sin. So we have places like Galatians 5:19. There's a whole list of sins. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I like the way Paul concludes that list and the like. There are lots more of these kinds of things. Scripture is so rich by putting the finger of the Holy Spirit on specific sins in our lives. And the key weapon in this fight to seek to know your sin is to meditate and pray about that. Now, we should be praying about lots of things. We praise the Lord, we intercede, we pray for someone who's sick, we pray for financial help, we might pray for lots of things like that, but one area that we can't omit is to be meditating on God's word and praying along the lines of, Search me, O Lord. Put your finger on my sins. Expose the sin that I need to turn away from. Not just generally. You know, it's very comfortable to be opposed to sin in general in your life. But if you never get down to the specifics, there won't be any real change. You won't put sin to death. You need to look at your life in view of God's word, meditating on God's word, praying, asking God to graciously expose your heart and your sin, both the wrong desires that so easily go astray in our hearts and also the wrong deeds and expressions of those desires in our lives. When I was a young man, I was a gardener on an estate, a big estate, and one of my main jobs was to pull weeds And I'd go to a garden and look at it and think, okay, I guess some of these are weeds and some of these are flowers. I didn't know which was which. And so I'd have to go to the manager of the state and say, could you come show me, you know, what are the flowers, what are the weeds? I didn't know. You have to know the weeds. And that comes by looking at God's word and with the help of the spirit, as he shines his spotlight on our lives, he convicts us of specific sins We need to turn away from. So seek to know your sin. Secondly, seek to hate your sin. Still under this first main point. We need to seek to hate our sin. We don't naturally hate our sin. We tend to be all too comfortable with our sin. That's how it is to live in this world. Everybody sins. The world is a sinful place. We compare ourselves to those around us and think, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not worse than him or her. We're pretty much like that, so I must be okay. How do we grow in hating our sin it doesn't come naturally we grow in hating our sin by looking at the cross of jesus christ by faith and meditating on what jesus did for us on the cross you know how could you sing that first hymn and can it be that i should gain an interest in my savior's blood and sing with praise in your heart about Jesus dying for you. No condemnation. Praise be to God. My chains fell off. How can you sing that and then go happily to sin? You just can't. The more you meditate on the cross of Christ, the more you hate your sin. And it's there's like a two-part thing. Number one, the cross of Christ shows us how vile sin is, how hateful it is. And number two... It shows us the goodness and the grace of God in Christ that turns us away from the emptiness of sin. So every sin is seen as as a wrong thing, as a sin against Christ, as a forsaking of God, no matter how small it is. And it's also a sin against the goodness of God. And it's as we look to the cross of Jesus Christ by faith that we grow in hating and forsaking our sin. We have things around our home that need to be fixed. And they've needed to be fixed for years. Man, I'm not trying to be down on you here. And don't use this to say to your wife, you know, well, look at John. He doesn't fix stuff very well. So, you know, don't be hard on me. But you know how you live with broken things like the faucet leaks and, you know, the door doesn't quite close tight and the doorknob doesn't work. And you just kind of, before you know it, you're living and you don't even notice these things anymore. You just get completely used to it, the fact that it doesn't work right. Well, that's how it gets to be with sin in our lives. We get so comfortable with our sin, we hardly know it's there. We don't notice it. We have to ask God for a holy hatred of sin to make us aware of our sin, that we hate it and forsake it. And then the third sub-point here is that we seek to turn away from the first inclinations To sin, We flee temptation. That's the command. Put to death sin. That doesn't mean something you do after the sin's done. No, putting to death sin means when the very first inclinations are there and you start being preoccupied with sins or you start toying about some sin in your mind and think you're going to do it. I know some sin just sneaks up on us and it's there before we even know it. But other times we dabble with sin. And putting to death sin means that we we flee from it we immediately turn away from its first actings. I like the way Paul puts it in Romans 13, at verse 12. He's, again, calling them to walk with Christ, and he says, "...the night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness." It's another way to describe putting to death sin, putting aside the deeds of darkness, and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Or your translation may say, make no provision For the flesh, fulfill the lust of it. In other words, the first inclinations of sin have done with it. Don't think about it. Don't make provision for it. Put it away. And instead, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Essentially, what we're talking about is repentance. Repentance and faith. Turning away from our sin. Fleeing from sin and going to Christ. Joseph was a good example of this, wasn't he, in Genesis 39 when he was in his boss's household doing his work, and his boss's wife comes to him, propositions him day after day. And finally, one day when all the servants are gone except him, and what does he do? He flees. He says, how can I do such a wicked sin and sin against my God? And he leaves his cloak there. He flees. And it's, again, these same two things. He sees the wickedness of sin... He sees the goodness of God and it causes him to turn away from sin. That's how we need to put to death sin in our lives. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, am I serious about this command to put to death sin? Do you even give it any thought during the week? To the world, this isn't anything. They don't even have categories for sin. They don't even think about that. What you watch on TV, what you see done, you know, the world doesn't think about it. But the Christian is indwelt by the Spirit. And you know that even when the Christian sins, there is a Spirit-empowered and imparted reluctance to sin. The Spirit never stops working. And there's a reluctance and there's an aversion to sin deep down and we know it. Well, we're to reinforce that. We're to seek to hate our sin and to turn from it. It's our duty to do that. But as we'll see in our next point, it's by the Spirit. That brings us to major point number two. The only way to put to death sin is by the Spirit. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What a key phrase. It's by the Spirit. It likes, it's like it says in Galatians 5.16. So I say, live by the Spirit. And what's the result of that? Living by the Spirit? You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Later on it says, keep in step with the Spirit. That's the idea. In other words, it's not by mere human effort. That's not enough. G.K. Chesterton says this, If a rhinoceros were to enter this restaurant now, there is no denying he would have great power here. But I should be the first to rise and assure him that he had no authority whatsoever. Humorous thought, isn't it? To have a rhinoceros and a restaurant. And Chesterton is, is referring to the weakness of fighting indwelling sin without the power of God. And the Bible says you can't fight indwelling sin with the law of God, it's not made for that purpose. It doesn't enable us to fight indwelling sin. Using the law of God would be like taking a blade of grass and slapping that rhinoceros on the rump. You think that's going to do anything? <laughs> Probably just anger him if he feels it at all through that. Trying to put to death sin without the power of the Holy Spirit is like trying to wrestle a rhinoceros with our own strength. But every Christian is indwelt by the Spirit. Romans 8 speaks about that again and again. You Look how many times in Romans 8 is repeated this idea of the Spirit dwelling in christians and so we're to put to death sin by the spirit another way to say that would be to put to death sin by faith in jesus christ that's the equivalent way of saying it to to live as christ to walk even as we receive jesus christ as lord so walk in him well, how does the Spirit work in empowering us in the pathway of obedience? Again, some sub-points here to think about. And these correspond, in a sense, to some of the things we've already seen. The Spirit, number one, convicts us of sin. John sixteen eight says, When the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. The gracious work of the Spirit is to convict us. That's the starting point of change in our lives when the Spirit shows us what needs to change, what wrong desires, what wrong words and actions. And the Holy Spirit does this very specifically. The Spirit delights to show us the application of the Word of God to particular things in our life. Something we say, something we do, and we find ourselves realizing of the conviction of the Spirit in our lives. And so he convicts us of areas of sin, and also the Spirit enables us to see the provision of Jesus Christ. The Spirit opens our eyes to see the promises of God in Jesus Christ for our deliverance from our sin, even though it won't fully be accomplished in this life. He is doing it more and more. He's done it decisively when we came to Christ. He's working it out now and he'll finally complete it, we know. But that's something that we need to see to have hope in this fight. The Spirit opens our eyes to the riches of Jesus Christ that we might rely on his present power for the help of the Spirit to change us. It's like... Paul prays in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 for the spirit, to give the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Or he prays that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. That's the same thing, that we would be empowered to understand all that we have, both the cross as the remedy for our sin and the cross showing the design to make us holy and you know, we can't separate those two, the remedy and the design. Sometimes we do that when we sin. We, we focus on God's remedy, that we are forgiven in Christ. And so we kind of rationalize our sin, well, it's okay, I know I'm forgiven in Christ. When we do that, we are, we are separating God's design in the cross to make us holy from the remedy of forgiveness in Christ. And we can't do that. It's not true to God's word. And so the spirit helps us to see what we have. You all have probably heard the story of the man on the cruise who had some food he brought along with him because he wanted to save money on this trip. So he stayed in his little berth at mealtime and had his couple loaves of bread and some cheese and so forth. And he cut off some of the bread and eat it and some cheese. And, you know, it got old after a few days, but he kept thinking to himself, well, I'm saving Money And then, you know, you feel really bad about it. I don't know if this is a true story or not, but on the last day, he finds out that all the meals were part of the deal. All these lavish spread, all this food and everything, and he's been eating his bread and cheese and the crumbs that he had left. And the idea there, there was full provision, but he's living on crumbs. That's what Christians often do. That's what we often do. We're to put to death sin by the Spirit, not with our own measly bread and crumbs and cheese, but with the full provision of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. He sent the Spirit to dwell powerfully in us. That is what gives us hope in the struggle. We fight knowing that Jesus Christ is at work by his Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit brings the cross of Jesus Christ into our hearts with its sin-killing power. What a tremendous thing this is, that as we focus by faith on Jesus Christ and what he has done, his cross that saved me from sin, that that's also set me apart from sin and given me a new power to more and more live for him. Praise be to God that we put to death sin by the Spirit. But finally we see that putting sin to death by the Spirit is actually the way of life. Putting sin to death is the way of life. The promise is given there, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The promise here is for spiritual life. It's not saying that we earn life by putting to death sin. It's not saying that If we're good enough, God gives us spiritual life. That's not the gospel, and that's not the way to live the Christian life. It's not saying we merit life in some way. No, but it's talking about God's promise that as we follow him and obey his word by the power of the Spirit, it is the very way of spiritual life as opposed to spiritual death. Notice the first half of the verse. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Living by the flesh leads to spiritual death in the Christian's life. Not ultimately, of course, because the Christian belongs to God and God won't let the Christian continue in this path to ultimate spiritual death, thanks be to God, but it leads to separation and lack of fellowship with God, lack of communion with God, lack of joy in the spirit, lack of peace and comfort in walking with Christ. That's the way you have to choose either life, By putting sin to death by the Spirit or making a peace treaty with the flesh, that's the way of death. So which do you want to have? Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the way thereof is the way of death. The way of the world seems right, doesn't it? You kind of, you know, dabble in sin that's safe and acceptable societal sin, and yet the Scripture says that's death. Life is being brutal in fighting with all your strength by the power of the Spirit in turning away from daily sin. And we understand that every idol and every temptation in our life holds out an alternative promise of life. It's not real life, but it has that appearance. Sin does the ultimate bait and switch. It's got the hook of sin and death in it, but it's got that pretty lure of life. It's just like a fish seeing that flash of the lure or that uh, fly on the line and the hook is behind it. That's death. Every time you choose to go the way of sin, you are buying into the lie of the world, the lie that says this is real life when it's not And so what's the false promise of life for you this week? We could start listing all kinds of temptations, money, having things, uh, clothes, appearance, your looks, having a great job, having success, a great spouse, great health. Maybe it's security or power, comfort, pleasure, all kinds of things we could list. Maybe it's being a sports star. Maybe you heard the announcement about LeBron James this week and you thought, wow, Maybe you're a 13-year-old boy and you think, I'm going to practice basketball more. Just think what life it would be to be LeBron, King James, as they call him. And just think of all the money and the prestige. Did you read the, the press report about it? You think, think of him going down to Miami and entering American Airlines Arena in Miami with 13,000 fans chanting, yes, we did, amid an atmosphere more suited to a rock concert than a basketball game, the Miami Heat welcomed the NBA's newest trio of superstars Friday night for a celebration unlike just about any other in team history. LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh all arrived accompanied by plumes of smoke lifted into the air on a forklift for their grand arrival. Great fanfare. Wow. That would be life, wouldn't it? Whew. Woo. You wouldn't have to worry about anything. I'm not saying that's wrong, but the Bible says that's not life. That's not life. That wouldn't fulfill you. That's not the way of life. The way of life is Jesus Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When Christ, our life, appears, then we will appear with him in glory You see, if you're caught up with that, you're believing the lie of the world. And the promise of this verse is as you turn away from sin, as you repent daily of specific sins and continue trusting Jesus Christ and calling upon him and cleaving to him alone, you will experience more and more of the love and communion of Jesus Christ. And that is life indeed. That's the promise of God. God gives us a greater capacity to experience his life and fellowship with him. And the world never understands that. It never will. And so I could just ask you now, have you come to Jesus Christ? Maybe you're trying to get life some other way. Have you come to the source of life? Have you turned your life to Jesus Christ and repented and said, Lord, I can't save myself. I come to you broken with my sin. Forgive me for the cross of Christ. I trust Jesus Christ. And Christian, maybe you know Christ, but maybe you have very little comfort or joy or peace or life in your walk with Christ. Maybe you need to return to him this morning and repent and begin by the power of the Spirit to put sin to death. The work of sanctification that God is doing is much more difficult and complex than the rec park there building across the street from me. It's more complex and hard than building the Brooklyn Bridge, which was a masterful engineering feat. It's more difficult than the Apollo mission of sending a man to the moon because in sanctification, the Spirit of God is forming God's people into the very likeness of Christ without spot and without stain. And that is what God intends to do and will finally and fully do for every sinner who trust Jesus Christ. And in light and in the strength of the Spirit's power, may you be putting sin to death in your life by the Spirit this week. Amen. Father, we thank you that it is not by our own strength. We thank you that we are weak and failing. We thank you that we have no strength in ourselves thank you for the full provision of Jesus Christ. Help us to believe that, to see it, to have our eyes fixed on Jesus day after day. Help us to hate and forsake our sin because it is displeasing to you, not by our own strength, by the mighty power that you give. We want this, Lord. We pray this and ask that you would help us in this warfare all to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.